On this episode, we speak to AIM's Best Singer winner and now one of Irish Opera's rising stars, Rory Dunn, fresh from his performances on RTE with Wexford Festival Opera, as well as look at the latest musical to make its way to the small screen. This is The Oddcast. Welcome to the Oddcast. My name is Keen O'Dowd. As you have heard, we have a great show lined up for you, as usual. But before we get into all of that, let me introduce you to my co-hosts, the idol, Daniel Ryan and Adam Trundle. Oh, you mean idol as an I-D-L-E. Yeah. <laughs> for, for one split second there, I thought you meant idol. And I was like, oh, Keen, thank you. Do, do, you, do you think I meant yeah. ideal? No, as in I am your idol. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. yeah, no. But that goes no. without saying, I suppose. So, <laughs> I was like, bold choice to go for a noun this time. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, just stationary. No, it's it's always going to be an adjective. It's always going to be an adjective. And if I can get to it, somewhat of a put down. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, no. That yeah. that that's where that's where that's where the confusion came. Is that this doesn't sound like a put down? Yeah, you shouldn't assume that I'm being nice to you. Although I know it is part of your contract now, Adam. <laughs> yes, that I have to insult you significantly less. <laughs> well, that's why. Like the adjective goes for Dan, I'm adjectiveless. Oh, and it's the idol of Daniel Ryan and also Adam. Trundle. Here's Adam too. That's, that's true, and and that is what I have worked out with the lawyers that that is a an agreeable <laughs> legal interpretation of what I've said. So. Just one little comma in the middle of the phrase sorts it right out. It's that's it. You couldn't obviously hear the comma because I didn't say it like stage direction. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> nevertheless, it was there. How are we doing? On what what week of lockdown are we now? Of lockdown part two, the lockdown strikes back. 84. I have no idea. And I also don't know, like, when is this coming out as well? Because we do record a little bit in advance. So, mm. um, like, I don't know what week it is now. I don't know what week it is then. Time has no meaning. I don't know when I am. I'm a man lost who in time. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> no, I know who I am. It's when am I? <laughs> <laughs> what day of the week I'm even interested is it? that you think who you are is completely detached from when you are that's, existentially that's quite interesting Ooh. I don't know if we've really time to pursue that line oh well Adam doesn't believe in reinventing himself he is just a constant throughout all of time and space <laughs> yeah like in fairness lockdown does feel a bit like you know the bit in interstellar if you've seen that movie where uh, matthew mcconaughey goes through a wormhole and ends up in the fourth dimension so he can see time in front of him in the various different rooms that's kind of what it feels like except on the other side of that so you're just trapped in the same day over and over again and listeners to this podcast are going to feel exactly the same way because i believe i made the exact same analogy in one of the early episodes of the podcast i couldn't remember if we talked about this on air or off air but we definitely definitely talked about the fourth dimension i actually like that you, re- you referenced that because it, it actually now feels that that's definitely true because we're still stuck in the same warp where we're making the same analogies yeah. maybe it's a bit more groundhog day than anything else then but um which, by the way, that one, Dan, uh, we we didn't actually get to cover that because we, we decided oh. that it was too grim to keep saying restricted groovement in another <laughs> lockdown, but Groundhog Day beat bear. What? Are we just landing this in here? 
I'm just landing that in here. It's probably the first time in history that a groundhog has beaten a bear in a fight. To torture your interest energy and analogy out further, we're now in a chaotic realm where restricted <laughs> groovement can, em- can emerge at any point in the episode. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Especially at the beginning. We're just going to yeah. flit and you, fly You're right. You things. do have no idea of when you are. <laughs> I really am just a man lost in time. Um, <laughs> completely. It's probably because as the um, local news correspondent for this show, mm. I mean, there is no local news to report. No. Um, no. Like... Is, there is nothing happening on on the Irish amateur musical theatre scene, yeah. unfortunately, because it's very much remaining uh, as it was. Yeah. Everything is cancelled. Same as it ever was. Nothing's going on. It's now going to be twenty twenty one before we have the opportunity to actually force you back into your local correspondent role again. Really? Yeah. That's which will feel very Groundhog Day then. Yeah. <laughs> well, this pretty much is Groundhog. You you are Groundhog Day. You see the way you keep bringing up Groundhog Day almost. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> But uh, it doesn't mean, despite the fact that everything is on ice, that no developments are occurring, because we are at least seeing a television adaptation of a classic musical in the form of a chorus line. A chorus line. That's not the song from it, but (laughs) I'll I'll pitch that, though. I'll pitch that to Ryan Murphy. Pitching it in like guys and dolls. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That's the inspiration. That that number from The Simpsons is inspiration for any, like, title of a a musical you want to turn into a song that doesn't already have its own song. You're just going to pitch it in with the same melody. A chorus line. Yep. We're just a bunch of crazy chorus lines. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. But this is this is coming out of the mind of Ryan Murphy. Yes, who is famous for Glee, isn't that right? Glee, American Horror Story, mm. Hollywood, um, yeah, a bunch of things. He seems to have kind mm. of has, has his fingers in a lot of pies over in Netflix at the minute. Yeah, and he's doing he's doing the film adaptation of The Prom, which is coming out next mm, month as no. well. Interesting. Um, which I say I'm very excited. The trailer for that dropped and. And they've also released, I think, a song from it. And kind of the biggest standout for me is that um, Kerry Washington of like Scandal um, fame. She's a really good singer. Like, she's actually a very strong singer, which I, I I'm, I'm just going to say straight out. I didn't think she was it. Like you know, I never heard, I never heard of her do anything before. Like you know, like because if you look at the other people in the prom, like Nicole Kidman, James Corden, Meryl Streep, they've all done movie musicals, whereas mm-hmm. never heard Kerry Washington sing before. So. Mm-hmm. Big surprise! Looking forward to that. So yeah, from the Ryan Murphy, he's, he's, he's not even he's not even got one musical thing out on Netflix, and he's already moving on to the next one. <laughs> it is kind of like one of those things though, when you find out that uh, like a, a a really attractive, like rich, successful uh, actor can sing as well. You're like, Fuck. it is very depressing, isn't it? <laughs> like, oh, of course they fucking can. Of course they, of course they can. Of course they could. <laughs> but yeah, like um, like the initial reaction to the news about a chorus line was people are like, how are you making a series out of a one? Act, like it's roughly 90 minutes of a musical how are you going to stretch that out into yeah you know six to eight episodes we don't know yet how long it's going to be because the information that we have on it is pretty slim at the moment isn't that right yeah yeah we know what's happening we don't have any cast yeah i'm just trying to think darren like i'm just thinking of other because mm. ryan murphy likes to borrow people from his other yes. tv series so darren chris definitely has to be yeah in pole position sarah paulson has to be in it somewhere i don't know as what they might end up giving leah michelle a miss yeah maybe <laughs> maybe <laughs> <laughs> yeah though he might call back some of his other glee stars who 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 we haven't heard mm. of in a while you know you could see matthew morrison as as zach for example yeah 
definitely and you he's could. been in and he's been on um i think one of the series of american horror story as well so yeah he's definitely a, a ryan murphy favorite very um, interesting but you know what my fear is my fear is that we're going to get an in-depth look into the characters miserable family lives <laughs> and that each episode is going to be delving into the homes of i don't know bobby or oh, i'm assuming what i'm assuming that like the little like snippets a little smattering of like backstory that you get in those songs mm. will be played out <laughs> in excruciating detail yeah because isn't the point sort of of a chorus line and this isn't to bury the concept of this <laughs> television adaptation or, or a netflix adaptation before it's even produced but isn't the concept of it that we just get a vignette mm. we just get enough information to form a view of somebody's motivation to get into theater without being bombarded because it the show is intentionally short mm. yeah but i do wonder when they like like when they say it's intentionally short is that a retcon because they just they didn't have the funds to to make a bigger production of a show that they just literally could afford black stage and that if they could afford to do flashbacks with like scene changes and stuff that they would have you know <laughs> if they if they could afford a second act they would have put it in but it wasn't in the budget. Mm. <laughs> well, if that was the ambition, then I had no interest in seeing it. I'm glad they were budget constrained if that no, was it. Because I think of like songs like At the Ballet. Like I, I think that could really work with like the constant cutting back to the three characters telling their stories about the ballet and then cutting to like them as children. As, like because no, like as long as they don't cut in dialogue in the middle of the music and just show it as montage. Mm. I think that'd be really cool. Mm. Like I suppose the issue is if they start messing with the score for me, because I do love that score. It is it's one of the yeah. all time great Broadway scores. Mm. It is perfect. It's one of the rare Broadway scores that I listen to where I don't utilize the skip button. Mm. There isn't actually anything I skip through. No, it's a weird one to listen to on shuffle though. Because you suddenly get like, <laughs> because the montage part one, two, and three on most album versions is like, is, is three separate tracks. Separate. And so you suddenly get launched in the middle of the montage and you're, where am I? <laughs> um, Quite. <laughs> It'll be interesting to see though, because, you know, obviously we, you know, the the movie musical, that, mm. that well has been gone back mm. to many times. But the idea of like, you know, taking a stage musical and trying to make it into a, a limited series or something like that, you know, as opposed to, you know, we have obviously things like Glee and Crazy Ass Girlfriend, but they're like original, you know, where music is mm. incorporated into a TV show kind of thing, you know, so this is going to be something new. And I genuinely feel this is going to be, you know, like the first dog they shot into space and everyone's just going to be watching. And this could like, in the same way that like, you know, Lakita for anybody who doesn't know the yeah. name of the first dog who was, as, as you say, shot into space <laughs> implies that he was propelled out of a cannon. Yeah, because he, well, yeah, he signed up for that. No, he didn't. He just wanted, you know, nibbles and ropes. Yeah, he just followed the treats. And- Exactly, this yeah. those bastards laying out a line of treats for him to follow. But like NBC did with, you know, I think they were the first ones to do like. Remember when they started doing like 
Music is live. Mm. I think they, they do like the same. The music, I think, with mm. Carrie Underwood, Greece, or one of them. Yeah, yeah. And then every, but then like Fox started doing it. Like a whole load of TV series or TV companies started doing it. I think this now could end up being the same. If this works, we could end up seeing a whole host of musicals getting an adaption for a mini series. Um, yeah, I'm not sure how many others it would suit though, because like the way that a chorus line is structured, where it's like each of the characters' backstories. It, it kind of lends itself to individual episodes. And I hope there is justice for Al DeLuca, the part that I played. Because <laughs> yeah. like, to my knowledge, he is the only part, other than the people who are cut in the opening sequence, who doesn't actually explain anything about his life before the audition. He, <laughs> he's purely there as an accompaniment to, to his wife, Kristen. Yeah, he's, he's, <laughs> yeah, exactly. he's, he's a vehicle for her not being able to sing gags. <laughs> Yeah, which is positive. Um, yeah, it is. It's, yeah, it's you a need you need that. support in gags. Not everybody, <laughs> not everybody can just yeah, you know, blaze I'm, their I'm own forward to see, trail. I'm looking forward to seeing how he became a doormat. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, from um, let's let's wish Ryan Murphy the very best in getting a chorus line off the ground, and turn instead to chatting to our guest for today's episode. One of the great emerging stars of Irish opera, Rory Dunn is a Dublin-based bass baritone working professionally as an opera singer for the last four years. He is trained as both an actor and a singer in Bull Alley Theatre Training Company and the Technical University Dublin Conservatoire of Music and Drama, respectively. Since completing his studies, he has been a company artist with Cork Opera House, a member of the Irish National Opera Studio, and most recently a member of the Wexford Festival Opera Factory. His recent roles include Escamillo in Bizet's Carmen with the Irish National Opera, Cadmus and Somnus in Handel's Semele with Opera Collective Ireland, Bartley in a national tour of Vaughan Williams' Riders to the Sea, and Beto de Signa in Puccini's Gianni Schicci with Blackwater Valley Opera Festival. But where listeners might recognize you from most recently, Rory, is in your role as Falstaff in the Falstaff Chronicles with Wexford Festival Opera. That was broadcast in RTE, of course. Quite an experience, I'd say. Yeah, it was a, it was a really interesting and, uh, I mean, kind of a blessed experience to have in times such as these. Mm. That, uh, you know, most of my work had, and everyone else's work in the country had dried up. But um, Wexford, by the by, Hooker by Crook, decided they were going to put something on, <laughs> whether it be in an empty opera house, which it was. Um, but uh, yeah, they, they got on to RTE, and RTE uh, luckily decided that they were going to air it. So it all it all went ahead online. It's all still up there, which is great. But also, it kind of turned. So what originally was Falstaff was meant to be one of the smaller um, productions. Mm. It was like a factory production, um, which was going to be a bit pared down and that sort of thing. Uh, for the younger singers, I say younger, I'm 30. Um, but in opera terms, that's quite young, which is great. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, it ended up, so everything else got cancelled except that. So we ended up being the, the main main production of the festival, kind of, which was very good in one way. That is Wexford Opera Festival's bit, isn't it? It's taking things which are maybe a little lesser known or putting a different spin on, yeah. on things. It, it kind of tries to operate... A little bit outside of 
the mainstream of the opera festival circuit. Absolutely, especially when it comes to repertoire. I mean, nearly all of the things they put on every year are operas that haven't been put on ever before in Ireland or maybe haven't been put on since their original uh, composition. And also it's been a, a huge launching pad for opera, um, operas like, uh, I think, the Pearl Pictures, which is kind of a more standard rep uh, nowadays. Uh, got its revival in Wexford and is now played all over Europe and America. And the same with um, Le Lucierre d'Amore, uh, the Elixir of Love, which is a really standard rep. And it's also a great springboard for a lot of a lot of singers. There's a lot of like very well-known opera singers that would have got their big break in Wexford just in the festival down there. And it's kind of where they got picked up, which is pretty great. Is it something that you think is getting a little bit more popular in Ireland? Because people will be aware aware of the classics, things like Carmen and the Barbara Seville and that, but less so of the the wider repertoire. Like even in the time that you've been working and doing opera, do you see a little bit more public awareness of the scene? Because it is difficult to imagine, you know, even ten years ago that Orti would have taken a punt on putting something like Falstaff on. I don't know if it's that it's become more popular or not it's it's such a hard thing to tell with opera because opera is such a um <laughs> i work on it and i love it but it's kind of a dying art like <laughs> let's be honest <laughs> you know i i think the rise of television shows and film kind of changed entertainment mm. for every for people in general and it's definitely shortened people's attention spans, I think. And opera is something that, like, you know, sometimes you're there in a theatre for five hours yeah. watching some woman and man, like, scream in German in an opera. <laughs> Most people just, I don't, I can't sit through that without, like, I, like losing my attention a lot. You know, and, and I, I agree. Like, like I, was at, I was at Wexford Opera Festival a couple of years ago, and like that, definitely one of the lesser-known shows. But... When you know Nessun Dorma isn't coming around the corner to rescue you, yeah, it's it's it can be difficult to yeah, as you say, hold your attention listening to somebody singing about a lost love in German. But <laughs> but there you go. But but your start in the performing arts was decidedly something less highbrow. <laughs> that makes it sound very ominous. Opera sound really highbrow, which is not. You got your you've you started out life in in lowly musical theater. Yeah, it's, I st- I it's where I first kind of got a grow for performing. Definitely, I think the first thing I ever did on stage was in the CBS in Nice. Yeah. Greece. That's right, you were Danny Yeah, Zito. it was a uh, classic bass baritone part. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, would never be cast as in, in adult play. I don't know about that. Well, we ended up doing it originally. It was me and uh, a few of the lads out of, uh, just out of my friends group that were like, we, we liked the idea that uh, the, the school musical was integrated between the, the girls and the boys' schools. So we were like, yeah. let's do it. It'll be fun. We'll get to meet girls. And it's like, all right, we'll just, we can just sit in the chorus and do nothing. And it's like, great. And everyone had to audition, and I remember he did it, and then they announced the cast list, and I was like, oh, no. I was all, I've never been good at anything before. Did the other, did the other lads get parts, or were they, did, they get to, did they get to be in the chorus that they wanted? Yeah, yeah no, I'm pretty sure one of, they got like small, uh, small roles in it as well. I mean, we all knew each other in the mm. school. Anyway, it's not the world's biggest school. So it was like, but ladies love a leading man anyway, so... 
<laughs> yeah, do they? Oh, me this. Hasn't been your experience thus far, no. <laughs> yeah, they love a tenor. That's true. <laughs> Usually, you're playing someone's dad, or a murderer. Yeah, I I don't know. I don't know what it is in musicals. Is it the assumption that you must have like drunk about six bottles of whiskey a day and smoked eighty cigarettes in order to get to lose all of your upper register to be a solid like dad character <laughs> in a musical? <laughs> it's an odd thing. Well, I think a lot of it has to do with you know voices deepening in men when they get older. But um, mm. but also it's a it's a thing that changed over time. So Mozart wrote a lot of his main roles for. Uh, bass baritones and uh, they would have but I mean if you look at the like the origins of opera and that sort of stuff the original heroic parts would have been sang, sung by counter tenors so like uh, yeah. men in the falsetto register and uh, that was seen as the like ultimate manly heroic thing <laughs> back in the day and it's, wow. I think it's just like it comes in waves and it changes as time goes on it's all just it's fashion isn't it yeah <laughs> The Bee Gees really missed their era. <laughs> <laughs> I know they could have been playing Hercules and something. Yeah. <laughs> if it had been the 1670s, they'd have been all over it. But, <laughs> but, uh, but your your love affair with musical theatre didn't stop just at Nice CBS. No, absolutely not. You've you've done shows with a number of societies and even won an Ames Best Singer. I did. It still sits upon my mother's mantelpiece with pride. Yeah. <laughs> um, for uh, for playing uh, the titular role in Sweeney Todd. Yeah, in Clay Musical Society. Yeah, that was uh, a few years back. Um, I think that was the last musical I did, actually. Um, I'm always aching to kind of get back into musical theatre, and it was, it's always kind of my plan. I mean, and a lot, luckily, a lot of opera houses do Sondheim within their repertoire now. It's kind of... Uh, they're opening up to it and introducing more operatic style, style singing style-wise anyway, operatic uh, musicals. And I think some Sondheim fits into that. Sweeney Todd particularly, the singing is, for the for the most part, maybe not uh, Mrs. Lovett, she's not a huge, but like uh, Sweeney itself is kind of, kind of a semi-operatic role. Pirelli is massively yeah. operatic. Yeah. Operatic. Yeah. <laughs> And yeah, um, so yeah, that was the the last thing I did musical theatre wise. I, I mean, before Claim, yeah, then I'd been in Newbridge multiple times and Nate's mm. Musical Society once or twice as well. Um, but yeah, that's that's kind of where I first learned all of my skills within music. So I had no music theory when I went to study actually study music after studying um, acting. And luckily, just from chorus rehearsals in, I think I remember the first time that I was like, oh, I think I can, I think I understand how to read music like on a <laughs> low form level one day. Well, we were in a, a musical rehearsal for Oklahoma in Newbridge, I think it was. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, oh, right, okay. And I was like, I don't know where this note lands, but I now know it goes higher or lower. And it's just like <laughs> learning how to read thing that kind of was born out of just struggling through music rehearsals. But, uh, yeah, I definitely I definitely think all of the musical theatre stuff at the start helped me so much and has, like, helped me get work so much as well. There's also the, the, the acting side of things mm. often missing in in opera singers uh god bless them um <laughs> you know, 
having act- a bit of an acting background is like uh, just another string to your bow. Yeah. And you were like pretty young playing like, you know, the likes of Sweeney and I think and like Caiaphas and JC as well. Like what was that kind of like, you know, because obviously you had the voice to pull it off. But, you know, at the same time, you're like, I'm still I'm still a young person in my 20s. Like, you know, how, how, was that difficult? Did you find that hard? Or, you know, did that come with, you know, I suppose, being able to get into the, the music of it really well? Um, yeah, I think for certain roles, it was it was a weird one. It, but all, it all depends on who you're surrounded by, I think, um, director wise and cast wise. So I, de- I definitely found uh Caiaphas um an e- an easy one to step into just because I had such a, a nice group it was such a like positive group of people on stage and I never once felt like anyone being like oh you're quite young to be doing this or anything it was always very mm. much just welcome and just like oh this is yeah this is good and there, there was never a, a negative word said with the, mm. which was great and it was such a like uh nurturing environment to kind of discover those roles and try to test things out with them as well and it was the same with Sweeney Todd with Sweeney Todd it was kind of like I didn't I felt like I didn't have a moment to kind of panic about it because I was like oh crap I've never done a role this big before that sort of thing <laughs> we got there in the end um yeah. and it was a sensational production I remember yeah it was a lot of fun very, very very good did really well that year as well yeah yeah definitely and also just so much fun at Ames <laughs> I miss Ames yeah. every year I'm always planning to go back and I always have like work on or something. Also, I haven't done it. I'm never in a show during the year, so I have no right to be there. But uh, some year I'm going to crash. <laughs> yeah, well, I, to be honest with you, I don't think that being in a show is the primary consideration for going to Ames. It's yeah. mainly about inhaling your body weight and alcohol is the primary consideration. I do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but for somebody listening to this show, they kind of be wondering, you know, like you're you were into musicals, you were into music, but what in God's name turned you on to opera? Yeah, that's a weird one, isn't it? It's uh so what happened was I I'd come I'd finished the acting side of things in Bull Alley and my my prospects were kind of go out and audition as an actor or you know, go get a job somewhere proper. <laughs> um, and uh, I, I felt not ready for either of those choices. I felt um, acting-wise, I still felt so young, and I was still very much finding finding who I was uh, performer-wise and mm. what I wanted to do. Um, and I, because I'd gotten into, because I'd been singing for a few years on on one level, you know, uh, while Sweeney Todd and everything was was amazing, and I loved doing it, and all the musical side of stuff. Um, there was de- there was definitely I, I felt I wanted to actually like follow it and train it fully and see where it went. Um, but I wasn't sure at all what to do with that. So I got in touch with Vivian Coates, who is the head of Lyric Opera Productions. Um, as I'd, I'd done actually off, off the back of doing Oklahoma in Newbridge. So this is where my starting opera came. Tony Finnegan directed that. Yeah, Tony Finnegan, um, who is Vivian's partner, and mm. they they were putting on Pirates of Penzance, um, in the Buxton Opera House in England, and they asked me if I'd step into the chorus and fill in. They were doing some with festival productions, and I was like, yeah, sure, absolutely. So myself, Gary Lanigan, and a few and a lot of other heads ended ended up heading over, and it was yeah through that that I got in touch with Vivian. 
And then I kind of just called him one day after I was I was sitting at home in my my rented accommodation in Fibsborough after coming back from work in Vicker Street. And I was like, I don't know what I'm doing with my life. <laughs> and I called him up and I was like, I want to get my voice trained. What do, how do I do that? What do I do? And he so he sent me on two numbers of singing teachers, Veronica Dunn and Emmanuel Lawler, uh, respectively. And I got in touch with both of them and ended up um, going to study with Emmanuel Lawler in DIT for a year part time while I was working in Bank of Ireland. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, through that year, I kind of he made I never sang opera as such, but I sang a lot of. So you start off usually with classical singing with aria antiche, which are like uh, these old Italian arias. And I think every singer has kind of a nightmare going through them, but they are, they're like building blocks of how to do operatic singing. So over the year we did that a few, along with some other stuff. And then as the end of the year approached, he kind of sat me down and he's like, right, okay, we've hit the end of the year. Um, you know, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm here to teach singing, but obviously I, don't want to teach someone who's just going to end up in the bank and coming in here to have a bit of fun. <laughs> yeah. Do you want to do this as a career or not? And I was like, yeah, I do, because I hate the bank. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I'd say I was hemorrhaging Bank of Ireland money. Um, so, uh, yeah, I decided to do that. And he was like, okay, well, you're going to have to do the undergraduate degree. And I was like, four more years of college okay uh, so yeah i saved all my money from the bank went back to college and i mean i was still not sure what sort of singing i wanted to do i just knew i wanted to get my voice trained and mm-hmm. then second year of college we put on a production of uh Nozze di figaro the marriage of figaro mm-hmm. by mozart and uh we ended up just i ended up getting a role in that and singing through it now you know the first time we got on stage with like the orchestra with us and stuff i was just like oh holy crap <laughs> this is yeah. what i want to do yeah um and that was it i don't know what it is about it it's just uh and again it's it's uh that sort of thing of finding people who want to support you and i was i was lucky to meet people the whole way through coming up that kind of said look if you ever if you ever want to do something just get in touch um and kind of i've always been willing to you know, be a bit cheeky on that side of stuff and be like, okay, well, I want to do something. So I'll just call. And I was like, do you remember that time we had that conversation? And they might be like, no. <laughs> I did that with Vivian Coates a lot and Tony Finnegan, where, you know, maybe they were doing The Wizard of Oz in Wexford Opera House or in the National Concert Hall. And I was like, I want to do a small role or whatever. And they were like, yeah, and did one, one or two for them. And they called me after that. Actually, the first opera I ever did was with them, Tosca. I got a call from Vivian and I'd only done musicals up to this point. I was in Bolali, I think. And he was like, Rory, I need you to step in for a, a show we're doing. Uh, and I was like, grand. He was like, small role, don't worry about it. I was like, yeah, absolutely. And it was like my first, uh, you know, one of my first professional paid jobs. And I was like, oh, amazing. Yeah, can't wait. And I was like, what, what musical is it? And he was like, oh, no, it's an opera. <laughs> <laughs> And he's like, no, no, it's in Italian, but don't worry about it. It's, it's fine. Finally, I am worried about it. I don't speak Italian. <laughs> We've got language coaches and that sort of stuff. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. Um, and it was fine, but it was also just like absolutely terrifying. Um, oh, and actually, full circle, the tenor that was singing the uh, Mario Cavadossi, the main tenor role in Tosca, 
Um, I ended up doing Tosca last year with him in Cork uh, Opera, in Cork Opera House, and uh, kind of walked in the door. And I've I've been doing this like walk on role in the show, and we'd like spoken a bit. And I remember speaking to it. And the minute I walked in the door in Cork, he's like, "Rory, how are you?" And I was like, "Oh, wow, that's amazing." It was like eight years before, and it was such a like nice thing to like people like that just kind of make it worth keeping going. Yeah. Yeah, because I imagine with like the Irish opera scene, I imagine it's not a very big community, so I imagine it is quite close knit. Absolutely, yeah. Um, within Ireland, it is a very small knit scene. You've got, I mean, and you know, new new companies pop up. Uh, a new comp- company just popped up now, Ulster Touring Opera, which seems like a really interesting one. They're doing a lot of augmented reality opera for lockdown, where they they have these they have these massive setup of like. Uh, I think it's like VR and that sort of stuff within wow. performance. And they're really, they, they're someone I'd be really interested in working with and they seem really exciting. So shout out to them, give me a job. And uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll, be, we'll be sure to tag them in the post for this episode. <laughs> uh, you've got like, um, I mean, so Irish National Opera formed three years ago, I think it is mm. now. Um, before that, that was, that was an amalgam- amalgamation of two, two opera companies. And then you've got other companies like uh, Opera Collective Ireland, which were formerly Irish Youth Opera, uh, which are which are aimed at like pushing young singers to be in full performances. You've got Cork Opera House, and then you got you've got you know companies that put things on in the Everyman in Cork Galway International Arts Festival. Um, but realistically, if you want a career in opera out of Ireland, you need to go outside of Ireland. Um, mm. it's you can make somewhat of a living here, but uh, you know if you want to make if you want to make a living wage off it, mm. um, you do need to go abroad, which is what I've been trying to do for the last two years, which was my plan just before lockdown. I had quite a lot of auditions in <laughs> planned in uh, Germany and Austria and that sort of stuff, and everything just kind of you know shut down. So hopefully we can get the ball rolling on that whenever uh, whenever Leo finds the cure. <laughs> <laughs> Holding him personally responsible, I see. <laughs> yeah, for my career. Um, but I wonder, in in terms of opera or even a musical theatre, have you got any dream roles uh, that you really want to play at some point? Um, yeah, I have a load of dream. I mean, Falstaff was always one that I really wanted to do. Um it's kind of like the ultimate comedy role. I mean, we split, so we split it. Uh, it was it was double cast for the uh, production with Wexford between me and my friend David actually. So uh, we we kind of split. So there are three acts with two scenes in it each, and we we divided it up as well. We could, and uh, it worked out. And I was with, I was happy, but I'd love to actually do a full production of that. But also. Vocally, it's not a role that I will play until I'm in my 40s, really. really. Wow. It's kind of, uh, Verdi is such heavy singing. It's like uh, the, the next step step up uh, towards Wagner from other styles of singing. But I mean, there's there's a lot of roles that I would love to ro- play in uh, in opera. So like uh, Nick Shadow was one. It's uh, in The Rake's Progress by Stravinsky, which is this insane, it, this weird opera just about like a rake um in the in the literary sense and nick shadow is his he follows them around and he's he's kind of like this evil representation of a character but it's just like the music's great and the character's great also i mean there's a lot of things in musical theater i, I would love to play like um 
let's think. I think yeah, what's the they were all in car- Carousel? I think is a really a really great scene. Uh, what's the main character in Carousel called? Oh, Billy Billy Bigelow. Yeah, I I think that's that's a, a, a really good role, and it's really like well thought out role as well. Mm. It's a, quite a good character because it's like so complex and not not it seems to have a lot of dimensions. Mm. But um. Anything really. Oh, I, I will literally take whatever is going on. <laughs> I don't think I'm in a position yet to demand roles. But, uh, another stab at Judd Fry, perhaps? No, yeah. Well, that's it. I would definitely love to give that another bash, Judd Fry. You mentioned there about, you know, obviously like Verdi, and you're like, oh, that's a role I won't play until like I'm in my 40s and stuff. Obviously, your work is your voice. What's it like, I suppose, kind of balancing, like when I hear you sing and, you know, when people who aren't in your business and we're like, Rory Dunn is an unbelievable singer. And then, whereas and then you'd go into work and from what I know of it, it's kind of like, you know, you, you would view it that you're, you're, you know, you're not finished yet. It's, you're, you're always learning. You're always, you know, improving. What, what's that like? How do you keep the motivation going? Because I know in my in my loaded job, eventually I get to a point where I'm like, well, fuck this anyway. Like, you know, it's, it's, it's not going anywhere. Like, how do you keep yourself motivated to be like, no, it, it is coming. The, 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 my best work is still yet to come. How do you do that? Um, I think, well, I think while it's true that, you you know, you, you have to know that at certain age, you, you mature into certain types of roles and certain types of singing. Um you do kind of have to have the attitude that what I'm doing now is my best work, <laughs> even if it might not be true. Uh, you know, you have, you have to trust that whoever's cast you in the role that you're doing trusts that you are the best choice for the part. Um, and if you don't get the role, which is 90% of the auditions you go for, you don't get realistically in professional acting and singing. It is, you know, I think the hardest part of the job is dealing with the rejection. Um, and that you kind of have to trust that, you know, that wasn't the one for me and that's fine and just keep going and mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. but yeah i think it is, it is such a reality that you're constantly questioning yourself there are very few people within within the job i think that don't spend a lot of their time trying to get out of their own head um i'm definitely yeah. guilty of it just that sort of you know you'll you'll have gone for maybe 10 auditions in a couple of week period throughout a few countries in Europe and I've spent a ton on flights and everything like that and you get to the end of it and it's like 10 no's and you're like okay <laughs> well, <and laughs> part of you is just like hang it up man just leave but then yeah. the other part of you is like nah come on what else are you good at <laughs> 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 so is there is there anything on the horizon because, you know, as you say, Leo is coming around the corner with the vaccine. Yeah. <laughs> but, but given that, I think there is a collective sense that we are now probably starting to see the end of COVID and all of the disruption that it has wrought. Is there anything on the horizon? Are you hearing whisperings of people starting to look at projects and what that might look like perhaps in the second half of 2021 and beyond. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I mean, even, even as, as it stands now, I'm, I'm still somewhat in work. I'm not working as I was before. So in a, I think in a week or so, I'm, I'm up in Belfast uh, doing a, a workshop of a new opera. It's just like an opera in four scenes by a, a composer called Tom Lane. And it's just... I just got an email about it and they're just looking to make something new and 
you can workshop it because there's no you don't need an audience for that you're just in a room with the piano seeing what works and what doesn't work with music so i mean i have that coming up and then i'm also in january i have something with irish national opera which is up in the air about whether or not it'll go ahead uh, the four note opera but again that's a small group that we can do something online if needs be but out of the other side of the pandemic luckily a lot of the companies as soon as as soon as things got cancelled they were like we we want to you know make a promise to you that we were, we are going to put this production on at some stage we don't know when but as soon as as soon as we're able to and if we're still standing <laughs> we're, we'll be straight back on with this so I mean, I was. I think we were a week away from putting Carmen on in the board gosh with Irish National Opera, and we were on the way into rehearsals one day and just got an email saying, "Don't come in," and that was wow. it. Oh, so and, disappointing. And we, it was just like, okay, don't come into work today. We're gonna have to review what's happening. So we kind of, half of us were halfway into town, and we kind of all just met. We're like, and this is before you know any any like restrictions on people meeting up was happening. Of course. So we were all just sat in the market bar in town we're like let's just get drunk and we ended up getting drunk <laughs> and then we got an email being like uh guys the, sh- the show's cancelled we can't go on with it but uh they ended up paying us 75 percent of the okay, fee anyway right. which was amazing and um then you know throughout that day the the director and the stage managers and the crew and all of the the roles and the course all just kind of showed up at this one place in town and we kind of all just got to you know stay our natural goodbye which is a nice a nice thing to have uh but i yeah there are things like that where the companies have just said okay we're gonna we're going to do this there are there are definitely are lights at the end of the tunnel i think it's more so just about hibernating until that day comes and figuring out what to do and just not going mad and filling your time with maybe not the same things, but other things that keep you going and things that keep you interested. I've started doing like um, this uh, group with a, a few a few friends and a few new friends that I've only met online with uh, Chris Currid got in touch with me, uh, who went to college mm-hmm. with me. Uh, but it's, uh, it's kind of an acapella, or not acapella, but it's like a, an online choir sort of a thing called uh, Virtual Ozo. And they we've just been recording things online from our rooms and then they mix mm. it together and kind of put it out and things like that have really like just kept me going yeah i mean all of that stuff is so important like we've talked a lot about listening to music to keep us going so i wonder do you have any recommendations of operas for people to listen to if they want to branch out yeah um it's a weird one it's like i i would always suggest watching an opera rather than listening to it and um, because you've got this you've got surtitles or subtitles within those things the met opera online they they release over lockdown i think they're releasing one of their past productions every day pretty much and you can just kind of go on and watch whatever's on and some of them are great some of them are crap but <laughs> some of them are really great um but i would always say it's short ones. look at short operas that are maybe easier to easier to get through or something in english if you can ever get a production of like well, one of my favorite operas is written on skin it's super heavy and contemporary but as an english speaker it speaks really well to me because it's like the play itself is so well written within mm-hmm. the opera and the characters are so well written and it's this bonkers plot it's absolutely crazy and horrifying but the music's fantastic and it's probably the best the best opera of the 21st century written wow. on screen. Um, but also, 
anything Puccini's always just easy. Well, more sometimes easy to uh, to watch. Short Puccini specifically, Pagliacci or Il Tabarro or Suar Angelica or anything like that. There's a lot of clips up on YouTube of these things as well. Watch Falstaff. There's one for you. Falstaff by Wet Festival Opera. <laughs> Don't you watch yeah. that? <laughs> yes, the, the RTE channel has it in full, and we can listen to your dulcet tones and see your beautiful face. Yeah, well, beautiful. Yeah, <laughs> literally playing in how she's known for being fat and uh, gouty. <laughs> Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Rory, thank you very much for joining us on the show today. Um, if you are interested in hearing and seeing more of Rory, you can go on Rory Dunn Bass Baritone on Facebook. Isn't that right? That is correct. Is there anywhere else anybody can see you online? Yeah, you can f- find some of my stuff on Instagram at, at the Rory Dunn. Um, and I haven't yet launched it. Um, I was planning on launching my website over the last few weeks, but uh, I'm lazy and haven't done it yet. But uh, um, the, that is being launched in the next few weeks, which I think is just going to be rorydunn.ie. Listen, Rory, thanks, Emil, for coming on the show. And uh, best of luck once the opera gets back up and running again. Talk to you soon. Thanks so much for having me, guys. Really enjoyed it. You know, that's quite the transition, moving from musicals to opera. Yeah. I don't know. Would you, what, would you would either of you fancy it? Do you, do you class yourself maybe as a future Andrea Bocelli or a Pavarotti? Or I mean, in the shower, I, I am, I'm known to sing the Cornetto song <laughs> on occasion. <laughs> Just one Cornetto. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, there's my audition right there. Beautiful. You know, Rory, if, you, if he needs a wingman, yeah. I'm there. You know, I'm ready to death at any time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Vivian Coates, Tony Finnegan, if you're listening, there's a man right here who's able to belt out songs about cornettos with uh, a great, That's the only one I can great do. amount of finesse. But there's, there is some crossover between the musical mm. world and the opera world because mm-hmm. there are quite a number of musicals based on operas, are there not? Well, Phantom of the Opera. Well, it's not really based, it's not based on an opera, though. <laughs> well, it's... Yeah, he, Set in, an, in opera. an opera house. <laughs> he just lives there. <laughs> there are a couple of. Is it the only one that has? Oh, it's probably not the only musical that has the word opera in its title because, like, the word rock opera has been kind of commandeered. There are so many musicals that are. Whether well, it's a three penny opera, you know, there's that. Mm. Mm. That has opera in the there title. Is, I'm sure. <laughs> I believe you. <laughs> you don't. It's not Bertolt. Yes. Is that Bertolt Brecht? <laughs> oh yeah. Oh god, you're going back. Yeah. No. Yeah, yeah. No. I am. I am going back. I'm delving into history. But there are some more recent yeah. adaptations. Mm. Well, Miss Miss Saigon. Yeah. Which is a um. A, it takes. It's based on um, Madame Butterfly. Puccini's Madame oh. Butterfly. Um. Is any of the music like sampled? Or oh, no, that's uh, that's a this isn't a Kanye a West song, Adam. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I don't think Schoenberg and Bubriel did. I know that they that their inspiration for it was there was like a remixing Pacini into the backing track. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's sampling it in. <laughs> I don't. In fairness, I don't know how well operas lend themselves to sampling. <laughs> that that that's that that is one hell of a feat. Yeah. <laughs> It's maybe an opening in the market, but there's rent as well. Rent. Oh, what's that based on? Like, like you don't know, Adam. It's based on La Boheme. 
Lapo. Oh, I mean, like, so can I not play the foil in a podcast to ask a question? <laughs> Goddamn insider, honestly. Now, now by exposing it, we've, we've all just messed our podcast. <laughs> we've pulled up the fourth wall What here. are you talking about? We're just having the chats. <laughs> this being recorded <laughs> you adam's trying he's trying to make sure that his acting chops don't go cold over lockdown mm. <laughs> well, I believe. Well, well placed to take up a role once things come off yeah. um yeah aida is out there as well isn't there That's, yeah is like is that i've never heard that is that elton john it is elton john yeah oh, yeah mm-hmm. there, there, and then of course there are the, the gilbert and sullivan's that oh yeah um, are, are classed as operettas, mm. I suppose, like comedy light operas, yeah, like so the HMS Pinafore and Pirates of Penzance, probably my favorite of theirs. Yeah, yeah, very, very good. The Mikado, which of course remade as the Hot Mikado, so there is a lot of crossover. Yeah. It is interesting. Um, and in more opera news, Kildare's own Paul Meskel has been cast uh, alongside Melissa Barrera in a film adaptation of Carmen mm. of all things mm. which is being directed by Benjamin Mielapier who choreographed Black Swan oh wow and interestingly the music composer from Moonlight which you, you'll remember had a famous interaction at the Oscars <laughs> with La La Land a number of years ago <laughs> its composer uh, Nicholas Bretel is writing nine additional new songs for this Carmen film adaptation so yeah I'm not that really sure seems weird doesn't it like I mean there's a like mm. there's a reason that Bizet's opera Carmen is pretty famous and it's probably got to do with the music yes mm-hmm. so so it's a it's a big swing to say that yeah sure we'll stick nine new songs in there that will improve on yeah Carmen. yeah that's, that's- that's a bold claim to be like. But hey, you don't you don't go to Hollywood unless you back yourself, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, I wonder will he be sampling Carmen? <laughs> let it go. <laughs> Just let it go. It's not happening. <laughs> All right, that brings us to the end of today's episode. Thank you very much for listening. Don't forget to subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening to your podcast to make sure that you don't miss any content also we do want to hear from you so make sure you get in touch with us by email at the oddcast at oddtheater.com or on facebook or instagram at the oddcast by odd theater you can also reach us on twitter of all things at the oddcast by odd so until the next time folks stay safe <laughs> <laughs>